in your bio, you said that uh, you grew up in Brooklyn, you know, mm -hmm. above the flat of a legendary uh, mobster's uh, son, and you still live there. So do you have any, uh, you know, kind of stories to share about that? Any kind of anecdotes or? You gotta be careful with what I say. <laughs> I can't believe I actually put that out there. What was I thinking? Yeah. You haven't heard about Omerta? Yeah, I heard about yeah. that, yeah. So. Yeah. No, the, the uh, I'll, I'll tell you, the uh, mobster was Joey Gallo. Have you heard of him? I saw him in the, uh, the Irishman. Oh, he was That's, right. That's right. What a character, huh? So he, he, um, he was this famous mobster who was shot dead in Umberto's clam bar in Middle Italy. And he led a rebellion against one of the ruling families one of the five families of New York, like he and his clique, uh, they, they staged some sort of mutiny. And he had a hideout um, around the corner from where I grew up, much long before I lived there. Um, and the story was that he kept a lion uh, in a cage in the basement and his son lived downstairs with his bodyguard from where I lived as a kid. That was Carol Gardens, Brooklyn, in the 1980s. That is the greatest Crazy introduction story. to any conversation <laughs> we've had so far, so. I never thought anyone would ask. So, when you, before you did your, the Conviction podcast, we know that you wrote Vigilante. Mm -hmm. I read the full piece, it was brilliant. How did you, cross paths with Manny Gomez? Um, well, I'd been writing about cops in New York for a while. Um, and there is a contingent of black and Latino cops who have been speaking out against some of the police department's policies, um, which they believe are unjust. And I met Manny through this network um, I don't want to give too much away to people who haven't read the podcast, but you would understand why he would know cops who were unhappy um, with the police department. Mm -hmm. yeah. One of the most like fascinating aspects of the piece um, is this is the character of Manny Gomez. It's who he is, his personality. So how would you paint a picture of who he is? Like, how would, like, how would you describe him? Um, he's a magician with words. He's, he's, uh, I mean, I describe him like at the very beginning of, of the podcast and the article uh, that you referenced, Vigilante, I, I describe him as like, he's, um, he has a pen that's really a knife and he says his uh, favorite book is the Bible, but he's constantly quoting from the art of the watch and a watch that's really a camera. So like, you know, he's, he was, he's this flashy, brash character who, when I met him was, you know, driving around the Bronx in a silver Corvette convertible wears three-piece suits with his initials, you know, 
stitched into the cuffs. And um, he has a sense of himself as a living legend, um, as a mythical hero. And in a way, those are some of the best people, right, to, to interviews, to report on, to, to, to write pieces about people who mythologize themselves in their own minds because they make for such colorful copy. They're such good talkers. Um, but writing about those people can also be very tricky, right? It comes with certain challenges. And the main challenge is that it's, it can be hard to know what to believe, you know, as his, uh, the image of his deceptive watch, you know, would, would suggest. Yeah, there must, has there ever been a point throughout following him? Because I know you, correct me if I'm wrong, but you followed him for about a year and a half? Mm -hmm. Almost yeah. two years. About two years, yeah. Was there ever a point because of how sort of the way he was with his words, the, the sort of images that he would portray, was it, was there ever a point where you just felt like you wanted to give up on, on, on pursuing him or whatever he was doing? Um, to be perfectly honest, yes. There were points where I wish I'd never taken on this project. I can only imagine. Yeah. Yeah, because the deeper that I got into it, the more invested that I was, you know, the harder it was to get out of it. But also the more I came to question certain things that he was telling me. And, you know, Uh, it was my duty to question those things. I mean, we had a, a friendly rapport. And, you know, uh, Manny is a very likable guy in, in many ways. But um, my job isn't to like him. My mm. job, you know, to, to, to question and, and verify everything. And, you know, uh, that's like always an element of any investigative piece, right? But usually um, you have your sources, you basically trust, and then you have the object of the investigation, the person you're looking into. Uh, but this was a case where everybody I was writing about had an angle and had an agenda and, and it would have been foolish to, to take anyone at their word. Yeah, there must have been moments where you must have been genuinely angry with him. Just. Yeah, there, there were times where I got pretty frustrated. And I think, like, probably comes across in the last episode when I call him. There's a recording of that phone call from the yeah. courtroom. Yeah, so there were a few moments like that. So here's the thing, though. Have you ever interviewed somebody like this? Because if not, how do you prepare to actually get as much genuine, authentic information from him as possible. Because one of the things that comes to mind is the first clip of episode one. I mean, the first scene where he's like, are you busting my balls, right? Mm -hmm. Something to that nature. So I'm just thinking to myself, okay, like right off the bat, he is, he's got a wall there. Yeah. So how, do you, how did you just 
Is it a matter of time? Is it a matter of your personality? How did I get him to like open up or? Yeah, I mean, what, what was it that allowed him to eventually open up to the point where, you know, you well, were able to no, tell a story? I had no trouble getting him to talk to me initially. He was dying to talk to somebody. He had this whole story about how he'd been wronged. And he was on this mission to right the wrongs of society and the wrongs that had been done to him. And he was, you know, Don Quixote looking for his Cervantes. And that, that might sound incredibly pretentious, but it's something he literally said, you know? Um, and it's, 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 it's less pretentious coming from him. Um, but yeah, he, he, he was looking for me to tell this sort of hero narrative about him. And, and based on, 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 on my initial um, meetings with him, my initial interviews, I was, I was perfectly willing to tell that story. I was like, this guy's a little rough around the edges, but that's, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, it only became a problem much later in the reporting process when again, I began to doubt certain important things that he was telling me. And at that point I did lose access to him for a period. And it was hard to regain the access. Well, it took a while to regain the access, but in a way it wasn't really that hard. I didn't really have to do anything. I think he came back to me because he, um, he still wanted the story to be told. So he started to close off when you were uh, telling him that you were doubtful of certain accounts? Yeah. When I started revealing that I'd done, you know, some reporting that, that maybe contradicted what he was saying, or at least pre presented an opposing point of view. You know, mm -hmm. I think like he's someone who operates with a un unmitigated sense of self-righteousness, right? Like in his mind, he's virtually incapable of doing anything wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what makes him so tricky because, you know, often you'll, I mean, whenever you're talking to a source like that, right? Uh, someone who has a story of being wrong, they have, their story that they want you to tell. And they'll often be disappointed if you don't tell it the way they see it, right? That's happening mm. a lot. But I've also, I've talked to people like that. I've had stories like that where people will be self-critical. They'll say, I wonder if this was my fault. Maybe I was complicit. Maybe I did something wrong. I've had sources even say, I hope you'll interview my adversaries, uh, my critics because I want the story to, 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 to reflect a neutral perspective and to benefit from the credibility that would come with that. But Manny wasn't like that. He was like, this is how I see it. And it's the only legitimate way to see it. And I, there's no way that, you know, he, he refused even the slightest suggestion that he bore any responsibility for his his circumstances. And that's what made him, that, that's what made our relationship, at least in my mind, 
very difficult, he might have a different answer, right? But um, I think it's also what made him effective in his niche, right? Which is, is that he's, he's a private investigator who um, has set himself a task that virtually nobody would, hardly anybody would want. You know, taking on the police department um, and, 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 and fighting the police department, you know, in the most brazen, you know, loud, um, obnoxious way. I mean, that's, that's, there aren't that many people who would want that job or who would want that role. And, and, but it's, it's a role that is arguably necessary and Manny occupied it. And so I think in a way, although he sees things in, in, in black and white, I see him as living in a, in a, in a gray area where, 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 as we all do, where some of the same things that uh, made him uh, so difficult, so problematic, also made him effective at performing what is arguably a very important mission. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I felt was interesting that you kept in was the relationship that he has with uh, his mother. Mm. Um, you, like you started off episode two with um, just like this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just that was really, um, why did you do that? <laughs> um, did did you think it worked or? or I thought it, it worked a hundred percent. Yeah. Can I tell you? Um, I thought it worked because I thought I. Actually, let me ask you the question and then see. Because I thought it worked because it, it helped me connect with him more. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know if. If that was the conscious reason behind it, but. I certainly like. He, he had a, he loves his mom, right? And, and he would talk about his mom all the time and his love for his mother. And yeah, I felt like a lot of sympathy or a certain tenderness to him when he would talk about that relationship. And I'm glad that's, that's in, in the story. I think that's like an important facet of him. He's someone who does have this like, this sort of tender, childlike quality, um, and 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 he's just you know, this guy loves his mom. Like you know, that's it's 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 great. But at this, but we brought that clip into the piece because he, um, the image of the eyeball. I think like just resonated with us on a lot of levels. And um, it was an example of, that was an example of, of him saying something that seemed outlandish and me sort of not believing it, not quite believing it. And then, you know, the circumstances revealing that it was basically true. 
right? So, I mean, that's the other thing that made, made him so tricky. It's not like he was just someone who made shit up. And then after a while, you, you, you kind of figured out that it was, it was all, you know, bullshit. And that would have been easier. Then I could have just dismissed it, you know, and I would have dropped the story. But he's someone who actually has done unbelievable things. I mean, he says outlandish things, and at least half the time they turn out to be true. I mean, you can never, I mean, maybe more than half the time. You know, I mean, there weren't that many instances where what he said just completely didn't line up with the facts as, as I saw them. But, but um, yeah, so there was always, there, there began to be an element of doubt, you know, in, in, in my perception of him. But there was, oh, then, then I would doubt my own doubt. <laughs> and then one more thing is just this idea of, it was pretty, uh, I guess, a little comical. I don't know if that was the intention, but your argument with him about uh, Icarus, mm. it wasn't an argument, but it was like a difference of perception, right? Yeah. And like, so what does that reveal about Manny, I guess? Well, first of all, that he sees things differently from anybody, right? So this is like, you're, ref you're referring to uh, uh, a part of the story where he, he has a painting of Icarus on, on the wall um, being, uh, you know, having fallen from the sky and he's being cradled by like a, band, a, a group of nymphs. And, um, and Manny saw this as a heroic portrait of a man who had attempted to do the impossible. And I was like, I, was, I just pointed out that most people, or at least as far as I know, most people see Icarus as a symbol of something else, as a symbol of hubris. And what's amazing about Manny, it says everything about Manny is he, he didn't say, oh, you're right, or we agree to disagree. He said, that's bullshit. <laughs> this is about a man who dared to fly past the sun. And so he's, yeah, he sees things he sees things differently and he doesn't back down. What a story. Uh, anyway. yeah. yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm enjoying it a lot. I'm currently listening to it. Okay, um, cool. It, it's fascinating. Um, I wanted to ask you a few things, however, more, I guess, on the technical side. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, I want to say you started out writing, um, but you went into podcasting. What do you find that podcasting helps you do differently? Um, there's a lot that you can do in podcasting that you can't do on the printed page. Um, I think people always talk about the intimacy of podcasting or of radio. And I think it's true that, uh, you know, you can sort of pretend to have a conversation like the conversation we're having now and sort of almost trick people into feeling like, they're in a bar or chatting over Zoom or connecting with you on a more intimate level than, you know, than they might be otherwise. Um, and 
of course, like, I mean, the main reason why I pitched it as a podcast was because of Manny and his voice. And, and yeah, you know, if I just, if I'd only written about him, I could describe quality of, vo of his voice and how he says things and I could quote him at length. Um, but, uh, if you hear him talk, you just want everybody else to hear him talk. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's a guy who, I think his self-image was informed by, not by podcasting, but certainly by movies and TV. Yeah. Um, so he's, I mean, I think he would have been uh, a brilliant uh, actor, like a, sort of character actor, probably. Um, that's how he would have been cast. But like, he, he has a great ear, you know what I mean? He has a way with words. Uh, so you just, you feel as though the podcast just allowed people to actually hear it from him. Yeah, yeah, just it's the most direct way of capturing that. Yeah. I like what you said about connection. Sorry, sorry. Oh, no, just the last thing. And that's certainly what, like, one of the things that I think people look, a lot of people look for when they make podcasts, right? Like, like you could argue that maybe a book could, could have the same effect, could capture him fully. Um, you know, I think, like, yeah, literature is, is pretty powerful. But I think if you're making a pod, if you, if you want to make a podcast, it definitely helps to find someone like him, you know? Um, and not, I don't think you have to, that means you have to find someone who's kind of like, who has his sense of bravado or who's as flashy as him. I mean, you can, you know, the cliche is you want a good talker. But that could be somebody who's very quiet and careful about what they say and who doesn't use any colorful expressions, you know, but maybe they have another quality. Maybe they're very precise or they convey emotion in a certain way. You just want someone who will, you know, hold your ear like that. And Manny in his way definitely did that. It's also something I've been criticized for. Like, um, like there's a critique that you know, that maybe one should be careful about uh, building a narrative around someone who's just a good talker, right? Or not that Manny's just a good talker, but that, that like, he's, in, he's a charismatic figure and that, naturally makes him appealing to a reporter, but it, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that's the best story or the, the, the most important story, story that you should be trying to tell. And I think there's some legitimacy to that. Yeah, and you also add credibility to your argument mentioning those, uh, uh, I guess, like complaints about uh, that way of telling the story. Oh. Right, I just did what I said Manny doesn't do. <laughs> But, um, um, you know, it, it's interesting you said early on about uh, connection. You get a better connection with the podcast. I do find that. I listen to numerous podcasts, not necessarily all story-based, 
but I find the ones that are story based really compelling. And I think it's also very interesting that, you know, uh, I hear your voice now. It's very, uh, I find that funny. Just like I'm talking to the person I'm listening to it. I feel like I almost kind of maybe know you a little bit. I don't Mm -hmm. know. Um, Yeah. That's, that's the magic trick, right? Also the, uh, the timbre of your voice is very uh, unique. It's very, it draws the listener in. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's very, it's, it's, it's just so nice. It's like soothing, yeah. Thank you. I think people either find it soothing or it puts them to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Don't listen um, to Now, with Gimlet, was it sort of, was there any kind of pushback or were they really kind of, you know, were they very supportive of the whole vision, the whole process? Yeah. Yeah, they were supportive. I mean... I mean, there was a series of, like, I had to make uh, a couple pilots for them. So there was like a series of tests that I had to pass before they fully committed to it. But eventually they figured out that it was something they wanted to do. And what's that process look like? Like when you work with them in the studio or you're, I guess, putting it together, are you working with other people? How are you coming to these decisions? What to keep, what to cut? Um, well, I did, I did like maybe a half a year of reporting on my own, um, before they picked it up. And then there was this whole pilot process, which I don't think they really use anymore, but, um, they assigned me a producer, um, and we continued to go out and get tape and bring it back to the studio. And then they assigned us editors. Um, so we cobbled together a couple episodes that ended up sounding nothing like, you know, they sounded nothing like what we ended up with. Right. But, um, they were good enough, I guess, that, um, that Gimlet decided to uh, commit to the project. So then, then we were, we, we, we had a whole staff, um, they assigned a whole staff to the project. So we had a number of producers and editors and we were still like reporting, right? Almost up until the very end. So I'd go out with one or two producers and get tape. And then we, at the same time, we're bringing it back and, and, you know, initially mapping out the story, you know, putting chunk, big chunks of tape um, on a sort of, outline and then moving them around and moving them around um and then slowly you know refining the writing and the tape um yeah and that took that that took about nine months that whole process so it really it transformed how the show like basically like you before to like what was the final product it completely changed that's, uh, that's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, because when we um, turned in the pilot, let's see, that was in, I, I, I don't even remember what year it was, but I think it was the end of 2017. Mm-hmm. And the show came out at the beginning of 2019. So, and oh. events were unfolding, right? Like that whole time. We were mm-hmm. going out and reporting what was happening you know, in the Bronx. Um, so, yeah, just by 
I mean, the story, we didn't have an ending yet. We didn't really even have a middle. If you could go back uh, and just change something about the way that you did the story, um, I I suppose just the original story, would you have changed something or what would you have changed? There's one line that I would change. Um, so you've listened to the whole thing. Yeah. So it's, it's at the end, I have this like uh, sort of monologue that I deliver um, that's one of, I think probably the best piece of writing in the piece um, wasn't by me. Um, I, the, 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 the best lines um, came from one of our editors, Lynn Levy. Um, and it's great, but there's, it's, it's, the, it's the passage where I sort of like deliberate over like the idea of a hero and, 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 and I, I make the point that like nobody in the story is black and white um right nobody in the story is you know is seems to necessarily be all good or all bad um but the problem with the with the whole criminal justice system one of the problems is that it basically it it slots people into those categories of being good and bad and once you've been branded um as a criminal, for example, uh, in the justice system, then it's, it's, you know, as everybody knows, it's very hard to overcome that. Um, and I, I think that's true, you know, and I, and I, and I, I, I love that, that passage, but I have one line where I say, Manny, I raise the question of like whether Manny is a hero. And it's the question that I start out with, in the, I start the whole story with, right? I say he presented himself as this hero and, um, and other people saw him as a villain, right? And I say at the end, I was like, now I'm ready to answer that question. I have the answer. And the answer is that he's not a hero, but he's also, but, but, but in, in, in a way that the whole idea of looking at people as heroes or as villains is the problem, right? And I think if I went back, I probably wouldn't write that he, he's not a hero. Mm. Because I don't know if I need to answer that question, actually. I think I felt like I didn't want to set up a conflict and not resolve it. I didn't want to set up a question and not deliver an answer at the end. And I think a lot of like podcasts have been criticized, even narrative podcasts have been criticized for, for failing to deliver, right? A, 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 a concrete solution for failing to solve the crime, right? Or identify the, the, the killer. 
And so I felt like compelled, like, like that I had to answer that question. And now like, and I, this is something that I, that has been criticized too, that, that I th thought about. And I'm not sure I did have to do that. I, I wonder if even by saying he's not a hero, I'm sort of playing into that rubric. Mm, that's a really interesting point. Damn. Yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, I personally just have one more question, actually two, but I feel like I could be here for hours. But um, are, is there something you're working on right now that's your next big story that you'd be willing to talk about or? I'm doing some more police reporting. Oh, okay. We'll, we'll stay tuned for that and we'll, we'll have another conversation another time about that. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm looking at the background, the, uh, the bookshelf there and, uh, in our household, we are very firm believers in a good bookshelf. Okay. Is there something you would recommend from your bookshelf that maybe, uh, we consider, uh, um, well, I'm going to look over at the, at the nonfiction shelf here since we're talking <laughs> journalism, it's off camera, but, um, and I see. Okay, here's 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 one. You may have read this already. It's a J school uh, staple. Journal and the you know what? Yeah. I actually have not. I I'm kind of upset about that. The journalist and the murderer. I will keep that yeah. in mind. Um, it has a very famous opening. Um, I, I, I won't trust my memory, so I'll read it to you. Every, and it's, it's, I thought about this a lot, guiltily while, while making conviction. Every journalist who is not too stupid or too full of himself to notice what is going on knows that what he does is morally indefensible. Think about it. I might think a lot about it. Yeah. That, that would make a, uh, that would make a good, that's uh, a, That make a good what? I would make a good opening, like that. Uh, just starting with that statement, like I could see that in almost in a Scorsese movie or something. Uh, well, she, she. Um, I oh, well, I thought about it a lot because her story is actually is about a journalist who um, he was writing a story about a guy who'd been. Uh, arrested for uh, killing his family. And the journalist be believed that he was innocent. And he convinced this man and his lawyers to basically allow him, the journalist, to join their legal team, to have total access to their legal team during the trial. And so he sat at the defense table with the lawyers and he was privy to all of their conversations. And he developed a very long, detailed correspondence with the man who'd been accused of committing this crime. And at some point during the trial, he became convinced that the guy actually did it. But he didn't tell him he continued to correspond with him and interview him. And then he published his book 
and the book basically accuses the man of murdering his family. Mm. And it, uh, if I remember correctly, the, 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 the murderer was completely blindsided. He was taken by surprise. So Janet Malcolm, the writer of this book, raises like these really interesting, thorny, controversial questions about the ethical responsibilities of journalists. Did the journalist have a responsibility to tell this murderer, you know, not to trust him? And I think, and she says, like the second line of the book, she says, like a journalist is a con man preying on the subject's vanity. And, you know, I often thought about that mm. with, with Manny. I mean, I didn't, you know, I, I, I told, you know, I told him that I had doubts as, as you can hear, right? In, in especially yeah, yeah. in the episode. Um, but uh, I did begin to, 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 to wonder if, if on, on, some, on some level I was almost taking advantage of him. Um, and, but I also felt that I had a, uh, uh, well, you know, I, I won't even try to justify it. I, wanted, I thought about that. 